In the Gospel of John, in chapter 10, we hear that Jesus and the disciples have been in Jerusalem for what's called the Festival of Dedication. Now, we call it Hanukkah. So Jesus and the disciples and a whole bunch of other religious folk are all in Jerusalem for this holy celebration. And Jesus is there and doing what Jesus does. He's teaching about God and about himself and about God's love drawing people together. The religious authorities hear this and they don't like it. They're worried that Jesus will draw too many people to himself and gain too much power at their loss. So we're told they gather together rocks to stone him. When Jesus calls them out on this, they try to arrest him, but he escapes. He runs with the disciples out of the city and they cross the Jordan River. They intend to stay out there for a while and let things cool down. But it turns out that Jesus can't stay out of the heat for too long because immediately after this, he hears that his friend Lazarus is sick, so sick that he's near to death. Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, call for Jesus to come visit and to heal their brother. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in a town called Bethany, which is just two miles outside of Jerusalem. So going to see them would mean going right back to where those people were who wanted to arrest and kill Jesus. And yet Jesus feels compelled to go back to Lazarus, despite the risk of arrest and even death. He indicates to his disciples that healing Lazarus would bring glory to God, but also that it wouldn't be just for God's sake. The text tells us that Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. So Jesus tells the disciples that they have to go back to Jerusalem, back to Judea, and the disciples are like, Jesus, are you crazy? The people there were trying to kill you. But Jesus insists that they go. And so Thomas, the disciple that we frequently call Doubting Thomas, remembering the story at the end of the gospel, and never this one, Thomas says to the other disciples, let us go along too, so that we might die with Jesus. Here's what happens next. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Mar Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him, while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, and the one coming into the world. 
When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid them? Laid him. They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, had seen what Jesus believed in him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Will you pray with me? Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight and bring you glory, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I bring to you greetings from the Wisconsin Conference of the United Church of Christ and the congregation that I serve, Grace Congregational Church. But before I begin, allow me to say it is so good to be here. Here in this church that I will always count as my home. I was confirmed here on these steps in 2002, and I preached my first ever sermon from this pulpit on Youth Sunday in 2006. I was one of the inaugural summer interns back in 2008, and I was married here in this sanctuary in 2012, ordained into the ministry here in this sanctuary in 2013. It was members of this congregation that first told me that I should be a pastor, and I thought y'all were crazy. And it was members of this congregation that first taught me the love and acceptance of a church family. I am ever grateful for this church, both as a place and especially as a people. 
for the way that you formed and shaped me into the person of faith that I am today. In 1810, the Reverend Louis Nolau was born in Germany. He became a pastor in the German Evangelical Church, one of the predecessor bodies to us in the United Church of Christ. In the 1850s, Louis Nolau was sent as a missionary to the United States to bring Christianity to the Wild West as European settlements were expanding out towards the Mississippi River. Reverend Nolau ended up in St. Louis, Missouri, where he became a pastor at a church that was called St. Peter's Evangelical Church. Shortly after Pastor Nolau arrived in the 1850s, St. Louis suffered several epidemics and fires that killed 20% of the population of the city at the time. Children were orphaned and living on the city streets with pretty much no other options. There were no social services or other resources to care for them at the time. So Reverend Nolau came to his church and suggested that they start an orphanage to care for the children in their community. The story goes that a church member there at St. Peter's protested the idea and said to him, but pastor, we don't have what we need to start an orphanage. I can imagine the list of concerns that the church would have come up with. We don't have the money. We don't have the space. We don't have the staff. We don't have the money. We don't have the education or the knowledge. We don't have the right certifications. We don't have the energy for this. And we don't have the money. We don't have anything of what we need to start an orphanage. But Pastor Nolau responded to his congregation, yes, we do. We have everything we need. We have an orphan. And so on January 20th, 1858, the Reverend Lewis, Lewis Nolau and St. Peter's Evangelical Church started an orphanage with just one orphan boy living in the church parsonage. They named their orphanage the German Protestant Orphan's Home, and that one orphan boy in the, Protestant, or in the parsonage quickly grew to 50. And less than 10 years later, they moved their orphanage to its own space, buying a big chunk of farmland that at the time was outside of the city of St. Louis, and they built a huge house and a school there. Soon, the German Protestant Orphan's Home was taking in 300 children at a time, teaching them how to farm and to cook and to read and all the other skills that they would need for life. In 1945, the orphanage was renamed to the Evangelical Children's Home, or ECH for short. Over time, the program has continued to grow and develop, evolving to meet the needs of the children and youth in the city of St. Louis. It still exists, but it has continued to morph over time, and now it's called Every Child's Hope, still ECH for short. Every Child's Hope helps more than 1,400 youth each year 
through programming that includes a residential treatment facility, high school, an early childhood ed education center and daycare, outpatient psych psychiatric service, and transitional living and case management for children who are in the foster care system. For 164 years, this organization has supported hundreds of thousands of children and youth in St. Louis, all because of that dream of one church community, St. Peter's Evangelical Church, and their willingness to take on a need that they saw around them. Our Bible story today is arguably Jesus's most significant miracle. Before this, he's fed people, he's healed people, he's turned water into wine, all sorts of impressive things. But in today's story, he raises someone from the dead. This becomes a turning point in Jesus's ministry. Some who witness the raising of Lazarus are moved to faith. They saw this amazing thing happen, and so they believed in Jesus. And for others, this is the moment that they know this man must be stopped. Immediately after this, reports of the raising of Lazarus are brought back to the religious authorities, and they begin plotting in earnest for Jesus to be put to death. We cannot let him carry on like this. We need to find a way to end this. And soon, they say to each other. The reason why this particular miracle is so scary, so world-shaking and ministry-shaping for Jesus' mission, is that it's no longer about just one person who was healed. This isn't just about Lazarus coming back. This is about Jesus changing everything we thought we knew about the boundaries of life and death. Jesus could have come earlier, it seems, and healed, Jesus, or healed Lazarus before he died, as both Martha and Mary lament to him in their grief. Death is an important part of the human experience. Pain is also part of the human experience. Grief and loss are part of the human experience. Try as we might, and despite all the money that companies spend themselves to try to convince us to spend and hold off death as long as possible, death and pain and grief can't be avoided. And so we learn from this story that Jesus is not in the business of preventing death. Jesus is in the business of transforming the power of Jesus of resurrection is not just in stopping death, but in blurring the lines between life and death. Death is not as permanent as we might think. Life continues on after death, both here and now and later. But what's especially remarkable about this miracle we hear about today is not just the amazing things that Jesus has the power to do, it's also the power that he gives the others who are there to witness. When Jesus raises Lazarus, he shouts out, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, the text says, still all wrapped up in the grave clothes. There's a large crowd of people gathered around. 
Perhaps some are just there to see what's happening, but most of them are mourners. They are there grieving the death of their friend. They are there weeping and crying too. And Jesus turns to this grieving crowd and he says, unbind him and let him go. Lazarus is alive, thanks to Jesus, but he still needs to be freed from what is binding him. Jesus expects those gathered around watching, not just to watch and not just to participate in, but to actually complete the miracle that Jesus started. Unbind him and let him go. Jesus is the one with the power to do miracles, to heal, to feed, to restore, to bring to life, to redeem. But rarely does he do it on his own. He involves us. He expects us to complete the work that he started. In the congregation that I serve in Wisconsin, we take a trip every year with our confirmation youth down to the city of St. Louis. With our seventh and eighth graders over the summer, we spent four days touring the city and the neighboring areas, learning about different mission projects and helping organizations in the city. Nearly everywhere we go, the places that we visit were started by churches, just regular people trying to figure out how to live out their faith in their lives, how to follow Jesus's encouragement to bring others to new life and unbind them from the things that hold them captive. Every Child's Hope, that organization that helps vulnerable youth in St. Louis, that was started out of the orphanage, founded by Reverend Louis Nolau and St. Peter's Evangelical Church. Every Child's Hope is one of the places that we take our youth to visit every single year. And that's how I first heard about Louis Nolau and the work that his church started 164 years ago. Through Every Child's Hope, the children and youth that they serve have a chance at new life that is nothing short of miraculous. Every day, the staff and volunteers there and countless others who support their programming in other ways follow Jesus' instructions to the crowd to unbind him and let him go. Both from my time here in this congregation and from the stories that I've heard since I've left, I know that this community is one that seeks to continue in that resurrection work of Jesus, to continue the healing work of Jesus, to continue the justice work of Jesus, following those instructions to unbind him and let him go. There are so many local miracles that are a community effort here. I think of this congregation and your work with DuPage United, bringing affordable housing here to this community. I think of the PADS shelter, something that this congregation has been involved in for longer than I've known this church, and has provided a safe place and a warm meal for people in need. And the way that this work continues to evolve over time to do better and more just work in the world. I think of your ministry with Bridge Communities and your work helping youth through the precious blood ministries of reconciliation. I think of this congregation and your involvement in the food pantry and the youth and family counseling and so many other things that you do. 
And then there's the smaller things, the way that you provide a listening ear to a colleague or a neighbor who is struggling, the ways you reach out to and pray for others within the church community to encourage and support with one another, the ways that you've supported me and so many others as we contemplated the ways that God was calling in our lives. This list is certainly not exhaustive. All of these things, big or small, are miraculous things that God is doing in us, with us, and through us. God, through Jesus, starts that work of new life and then turns to us and says, unbind him and let him go. And so it makes me wonder, what other miracles are out there just waiting for us to pick up and finish the work? May it be so. Amen. Amen.